Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I, I would love for you uh, every week to bring your Bible or to bring a device that has a Bible on there. The reason for that is because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. I want you to see it uh, right in Scripture. And so uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now today we're finishing a series that we're calling Endgame, Facing uh, the Future Without Fear. And uh, back in 2004... Joel Osteen published a book called Living Your Best Life Now. And uh, this book was an instant bestseller. It it sold 8 million copies. It was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, It was so popular, they developed a study guide to go with it. They developed a calendar and a board game to go with it. So very, very popular book. Now, the book is is really a, a fresh take on Norman Vincent Peale's classic book, uh, or best-selling book, The Power of Positive Thinking, which sold uh, numerous copies uh, decades and decades ago. Now, it was Ben Franklin who said that God helps those who help themselves, and Osteen certainly would agree with that. Uh, he would change it a little bit and say that God helps those who think well of themselves. You see, the premise of this book is that if you imagine yourself to be a winner, you'll be a winner. So the thought process is, if you'll just visualize yourself winning, you will win. So visualize a new house, a new car, a new life, and then you will get all three. Now, the problem problem with Osteen's book is this, that it references God uh, numerous times throughout the book, and and there are several Bible verses that that he uses throughout the book. And I think it would be easy for me to read the book and walk away thinking that the Bible is really about me, that that I'm kind of the central character in Scripture. And it would be easy to walk away from reading that book thinking that life is about me. It's about my wants and my happiness and my promotion and my car and my self-esteem and, you know, and... um, all, all of those kinds of things. And church, that would be a complete misreading of scripture. That would be a complete misunderstanding of what life is really all about. Because in reality, that premise really doesn't work. I mean, just imagine if you go to Haiti and you go, which is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. So let's just say you go to, you go to Haiti and you visit with, with a few Christians there and you tell them, hey, hey guys and gals, if you just imagine yourself winning, you'll be a winner. If you'll just visualize yourself a new car and a new house and a new life, then you'll get all three. You see what a lot of Christians there are trying to visualize? Their next meal. So that premise really doesn't, really doesn't work there. Here's the truth that I want you to see today. The central character in the story of scripture is not you or me, it's Jesus Christ. That's the central character. That's what the story is all about. And really in the story of your life, guess who the central character is? It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. And so really the Bible is the story of God. It's the story of what a loving God has done for sinners. That's the story of the Bible from start to finish. And it's a love story and it's all about God loving us. And so life, I would say, is not about our fulfillment or our happiness or our house and our car. It's about knowing and walking with God. And in fact, here's what I would say. The Bible says the life's not living 
It's really not about you living your best life now. I think this is what the Bible would say, that Jesus came for you to live your blessed life now. That's what I think the scripture is really all about. In fact, we see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus himself says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So what you see is that Jesus saw that his mission in coming to earth, God taking flesh, is, is for, for him to secure abundant life and eternal life for us. And he would do it through the shedding of his blood. That's how he would do it. And that is the essence of the Christian life. I really think walking in God's abundant life is really what God wants for us. Now, how does abundant life work? Like what is, what is the you know, abundant Christian life look like? Like just, just very tangibly. Well, let me, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Let me tell you what the blessed life is really not. The blessed life is not a perfect life. So I think sometimes we get this image of living a victorious, abundant, blessed Christian life. And we just kind of think in terms of, wow, this is going to be a perfect life. Life won't have temptations anymore. Life won't have struggles. And that's just really not true. And then sometimes we have this image that life's going to be problem-free if we just trust God and, and follow God, that there won't be any disappointments, there won't be any setbacks, there won't be any problems. And, and if I'm really just, if I can just really get there spiritually, then I can be happy and comfortable and, and healthy and wealthy. Now church, that's not the Christian life. That's a Disney movie. That's what that is, okay? And, and so, and so, the question still remains, what does this blessed life look like? What is my blessed, not, blessed life now through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to get that answer today. We're going to talk about how the abundant life works very, very practically what it looks like. And I'm going to show it to you right from Scripture. We're going to read really the last section of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 28. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand just out of reverence for the fact that God has revealed himself to us so practically and beautifully. Let's read this. So Paul says this. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. 
And then he goes on to say, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Okay, so when you look at this passage, it's kind of like he's, he's no, he knows he's run out of time and he's just kind of getting, trying to get everything in there. And what he does is he, he just kind of rattles off 10 to 15 imperatives, just 10 or 15 kind of commandment instructions, uh, things that we need to be doing. But if you look a little bit more carefully, if you look more deeply, what he does in this passage is mentions three very specific gifts that God gives to us. And in the midst of these gifts, what we find, abundant life flows. What we're going to see is that the three gifts that he mentions right in this passage really enable and empower the blessed Christian life. They bring about the abundant Christian life. And so that's how we begin to see how the abundant life works. So what are the three gifts that he gives? And this is, this is really what I want us to look at today, just, just briefly this morning. The first one is God's will for you. The second one is God's word to you. God's word to you. And then lastly, God's work in you. So we're going to talk about God's will, God's word, and God's work. Let's look at the first one, God's will for you. Let me show it to you in verse 18. He says it this way, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now I mentioned this, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago where I talked about a lot of us when we hear this phrase, the will of God, we immediately think of specific, very, very uh, practical, very specific decisions that we need to make. And so we want to know, does God uh, want me to homeschool the kids or public school the kids or does, you know, what college does God want me to go to? What, is it, what does he want me to major in? And so we think of God's will in very specific terms when it comes to very specific decisions that we make. And there's no question about it that we should be praying about those decisions. Absolutely. But what I want us to see is this, that God has a very general will for us And if we will focus on that general will, the specific things will take care of themselves. In other words, if you get first things first, second and third things will take care of themselves. And I think a lot of times what we do as Christians, we get so fixated on the specific things because we want to get the decision right. That we don't really focus on the general will for, for our lives. And so then the question is, well, what is, what is God's will for me every day? Well, let's go back and let me show it to you in verse 16. Notice what he says. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, what I think he's doing there is he's talking about, he's talking about how abundant life works. He's talking about that it's really God's will for us to do those three things. It's kind of a unit within the, whole, within the whole passage. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. So that's how the blessed life works. That's, that's what it looks like. So let me, let's just walk through these and uh, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean here. So he says, first of all, rejoice always. He is reminding us that joy is the hallmark of the Christian faith that joy is really the strength of a Christian. 
And what he's specifically talking about here is that abundant life is finding joy in every circumstance. Now, at this point, I need to make a distinction. He's really not talking about, well, you need to rejoice for every circumstance. He's not talking about that. There are some circumstances in your life and in mine that, that are hard. Wouldn't you agree with that? That are difficult. And, and there are certain circumstances that come as a result of Satan tempting us or the fact that we live in a fallen world or we're a fallen people, we're a sinful people. And so there are all kinds of circumstances that arise out of that. And he's not saying rejoice because of those things. That's not what he's saying. You know, for example, God, I just want to praise you today because my doctor told me today I have cancer and I'm just so excited about chemotherapy. God, thank you. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is this. He's talking about not, not rejoicing for every circumstance, but he's talking about rejoicing in every circumstance. In other words, he's acknowledging that rejoicing doesn't mean saying that everything is all right because we know everything is not all right. What we know is that God is good when circumstances are tough. Now, why in the world can we find joy even in hard circumstances, a hard providence, if you will, um, adversity, suffering. How is it that you and I can find joy in the midst of that? Well, let me give you two practical reasons uh, for why we can find joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because I know, I know many of you right now are walking through some difficult circumstances. Here, here's hope for those circumstances. Number one, we can rejoice because God is always with us. He is always with us. And so we find joy in the very presence of Jesus, okay? And so, and so when adversity hits, I think typically what happens is we, we kind of ask this question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why me? And that's, that's kind of the train of thought that we go down. And church, let me just tell you, if you knew the why answer, it really wouldn't bring you comfort. See, the why question doesn't bring us comfort. The who question is what brings us comfort. Who is with me in the midst of these difficult circumstances? Does that make sense? So, so really reasons for why we have to go through it, not going to bring comfort. It's the who question. And who is it that's with us regardless of circumstances? It's Jesus. Let me show you this from Hebrews 13, 5. So the writer of Hebrews quotes Jesus. Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now think about that church. What, what he's reminding us of is this, that, that Jesus is always with me. What can man do to me? I mean, if God is for me, then who can be against me? And so I find great joy in the fact that even in the midst of adversity, God is with me. God is with me walking through this adversity. But there's a second reason why we can find joy. And it's this, that God can use any and every circumstance for my good, and for his glory. That's the hope of a Christian. Let me just say it again. That God can use any and every circumstance for my good 
and for his glory. Let me show you this from Romans 8, 28 and 29. We've looked at this a number of times. I always, I love keeping this verse in front of you uh, because it's so encouraging. Let me show it to you. And Paul writes this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now notice church, he doesn't say some things. He doesn't say only the good things work together for good. He doesn't say that. What does he say? All things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on and says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the implication of that is this, that part of the purpose of going through adversity and suffering is God uses those things to conform us into the image of Jesus. He's doing character work. He's doing a character renovation project in us. And so abundant life flows from, my blessed life now flows from having faith in the midst of the trial that God is gonna use this to make me like his son, Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So what that means is this, circumstances don't ruin me and circumstances do not define me. The grace of Jesus Christ defines me and his character is being worked within me. Joni Erickson Tata says it like this. She says, when life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus with imitating him, quoting him, and speaking of him. But only in suffering will we know Jesus. Now, I think what she's trying to get at is this, and it's her own experience as well, is that we learn things about God in the midst of suffering that we can't learn anything else. We, we learn about his faithfulness. We learn about his presence. We learn about his love. We learn so many things about God as we walk through adversity. And so, and so that's, that's why we can be joyful in the midst of circumstances. So, so that's why I think he's saying rejoice always, but notice what he says in the second, second part of this, verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. You see that? Pray without ceasing. Now, what is he really talking about there? Is he talking about that you need to quit your job? You need to quit taking taking care of the kids and you need to go hide in a closet and just pray 24 hours a day. Is that what he's saying? you need to do that? That's not what he's talking about there. What he's talking about there is he's talking about cultivating an awareness that Jesus is always with you. So I already showed you from Hebrews 13, 5, that God is always with us. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. The problem is, is I start to struggle and I lose my joy. I lose that abundant life, if you will, because I get, I get so focused on the difficulty and I forget that, that God is with me. Does that make sense? You guys ever experienced that? And, and what, he's, what he's really talking about is pray without ceasing. Cultivate that awareness that God is always with you. I mean, think about this church. If Hebrews 13, five is true, that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, that he loves you. Think about the implication of that. The implication of that is this. Jesus is always with us and we can talk to him. 
And when I'm not aware of his presence with me, that's not God's problem, that's mine. So what I need to do is I need to cultivate that awareness of his presence always being with me. That's the whole reason why Jesus ascended into heaven and sent us the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would be our comforter as the presence of Jesus. And so what if tomorrow morning when you went to, went to school, you talked to Jesus all the way to class? Because he's right there with you. So whatever you're worried about, whatever you're stressed about, whatever you're anxious about, talk to him about it. What if on the commute all the way up to the north side tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., right, you talk to Jesus? What if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, you've got 5,000 kids at home. What if in the midst of all of that, you were talking to Jesus throughout all the chaos? Do you know what would happen? You would have, you would experience the blessed Christian life. Because you see, blessing's not necessarily just about great circumstances, but it's about the presence of God. I think this is really something as Christians we need to practice. I really do. And one of my favorite books is a book by um, this Catholic monk in the 16, it was written in the 1600s. His name is Brother Lawrence. It's a little book. I read this book every year. I read it every single year. And I just shared a quote from Brother Lawrence and, and the title of the book is Practicing the Presence of God. L- listen to what he says, because he, he really wrote about this and practiced this. He talks about, he lays no burden upon us. A little remembrance of him from time to time, a little adoration, sometimes to pray for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sorrows, sometimes to return him thanks for the benefits that he has bestowed upon you and is still bestowing in the midst of your troubles. He asks you to console yourself with him the oftenest you can. Lift up your heart to him even at your meals and when you are in company. The least little remembrance him will always be acceptable to him. So just the smallest thinking of God being with you blesses him. He says, you need not cry out very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. I love that. I mean, imagine that. Imagine practicing the presence of God because he's with you. He's always with you. And he just simply says, the least little remembrance of me just makes his day. It just is a blessing to him. And he gives that back to you. So so he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And then, then the third challenge here is to give thanks in all circumstances. You see that? Uh, he says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, again, he's not saying, you know, you're giving thanks for circumstances. He's just talking about giving thanks in circumstances. And I think, I think abundant life I think walking in the blessed life now is walking with your eyes open to how God has blessed you. And part of how we do that is by practicing gratitude. See, gratitude doesn't happen. It's gotta be cultivated. You gotta train for it. Like uh, you could say it's spiritual training, if you will. Now, I was doing some reading about the devotional life of, of the Jewish people and uh, it's interesting because Jewish people are praying people 
and they pray two prayers every day. They pray the Shema, which is based on Deuteronomy 6. Uh, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and strength. They pray that prayer. They turn that into a prayer every single day, the Jewish people do. And then they pray what is called the 18. Okay, the 18 benedictions, if you will. And a benediction, if you, you know, know, know your English a little bit, diction means speech and bene means good. So it just means good speech. And so in Hebrew, a benediction was a prayer of blessing to God. It was a prayer of thanksgiving to God. So basically what they would do is they would, they would speak these prayers of thanksgiving and blessing to God for different things in their life. And they would pray the 18 blessings, the 18 benedictions three times a day. They would do it in the morning, they do it in the afternoon, and they would do it uh, in, the, in the evening. And what they would do is they would say, you know, bless you, Lord, because healing comes from you. And maybe they've been sick and, you know, they felt better or they were healed or whatever. And so it was just their way of saying thank you. And, um, and so they would pray 18 things every morning and every day and every night before they went to bed, 18 things that they were thankful for. And you know what they were really doing is they were spiritual training. They were cultivating gratitude. You see, the reality is this, gratitude doesn't come from getting more stuff. Gratitude is a way of seeing reality. That's what gratitude is. It's having your eyes open to how God has blessed you in so many thousands of ways every single day. And when you train for it, your eyes see it. And then your heart is filled with joy because you're realizing the blessed life now. You're seeing how much God has blessed you. Um, it's kind of interesting. The 18 benedictions, uh, the Jews called it the Amidah. And Amidah means standing. So they always wanted you praying while you were standing because they knew that if you would sit down and pray, you would fall asleep like many of you are right now. So that's kind of how that works. Um, but they would call it the Amidah. Interestingly enough, the Jewish rabbis taught their people that if you enjoyed something, just anything, and you did not bless God for that enjoyment, it was like you were stealing from God. Because, because they understood that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so I wanna just challenge you, church, to do some training in this area. I, I dare you, just try it for a week. Try the 18 for a week. 18 benedictions in the morning, afternoon, and right before you go to bed. And you'll start really experiencing the joy of your blessed, blessed life now, all right? So that's, that's just the first gift. That's just God's will for you right there, all right? So, so once you get that, man, you're, you're cruising. But let me share with you two more gifts. Here's the second gift that he mentions to us, and it's this one, God's word to you, all right? Let me show you this in verse 19. He says this, don't quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. All right, now a couple of things there, there's a lot kind of going on in that. First of all, that word quench, you see that? He says, don't quench the spirit. That word quench in Greek, it really has to do with light and fire. 
And so what he's talking about is this. He's, he's talking about, you know, very practically, don't, don't put out a fire and don't darken the light. Now, he mentions not quenching the spirit um, because the spirit does what? It brings light and it brings fire to us, a spiritual fire, if you will. And so the question comes, well, how do we, how do we quench the spirit? How does that actually happen? What, is, what does it mean to put out the light, to darken the light or to put out a fire? Well, very simply, it means this. As a Christian, the spirit of God is living inside of you. And if you're listening to the spirit, he'll prompt you to do things. He may prompt you to pray for a family member or a friend. He'll put somebody on your heart. You just, you just feel this burden, so you just start praying for them. He may prompt you to help a stranger in need or to share, a, share the gospel with a friend in a conversation. He may, he may prompt you to do that. When we quench the spirit, we say no to that prompting. And what he's saying here is, don't say no to that prompting. Because that's, that's like God's word to you. He's, he's, he's leading you to do this. So don't, don't quench him. Don't darken the light. Don't put out the fire. Let, let fan it into flame. And let God work through you. And, and so quenching the spirit is not doing what he's prompting you to do. Or here's another part of quenching the spirit. Not doing what he's already told you to do in his word, okay? So, so when I know that, you know, I shouldn't do this because the word of God says I shouldn't do it, and then I go ahead and do it anyway, that's a form of quenching, quenching the spirit. That's why he says so quickly, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? When we see the word prophecy, we immediately think they're predicting the future. The prophecy has to do with the future. And really prophecy in the word of God is much broader than just foretelling, okay? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is a Bible commentator and he, this is how he defines prophecies. A prophecy is just simply declaring the mind of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so really a prophecy could be a sermon, it could be a testimony, it could be uh, a song, it could be reading scripture. Prophecy is just anytime you're declaring the will of God, the word of God, or the mind of God. And so what he's saying here is don't, don't treat prophecy, don't treat the word of God with contempt. Don't despise it. Now, how could we do that? How do we normally do that? It's not like we say, oh, I, I despise the word of God. We, we would never say that, right? We would, we would never do that. But I think one way we show contempt or despise the word of God is by simply never reading it. You know, it could be that at home, you've got 15 Bibles on the shelves that you're in around your house, but you never have time for them. You never crack them open. And so, so the word of God, he's basically saying is, if you understand its worth, it'll be a priority in your day. It'll be a huge blessing in your life. And that's part of how we know what the abundant life really is. It comes from his word. And so, and so really what he's saying here is this, treat it with the worth 
that it deserves. Now, I was um, reading about this Yale study that they did. And in this Yale study, they, they follow like 3,300 people. 3,300 people in this study. And they followed them for 12 years. Now get this, church. What they found is this, that the people that read books regularly lived two years longer on average than the people that didn't read any books at all. And so the point of, the point of the study is if you want to if you want to live longer you need to be reading books especially in all the chaos that we've been through. But here's what I thought about that study. That's great if you want to read books, it'll extend your life. But this is the one book that will give to you eternal life. And we need to be about that. Now, how does God's word give us abundant life? Well, let me, let me just kind of spend a moment on this. You know, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And you're like, well, how does, how does the word of God set me free? Growth in the Christian life is really a process that we go through where we are systematically replacing lies that we believe with the truth of God's word. So really growth in the Christian life, if I could, the best way I could describe it would be, it's just replacing lies with truth. So, so in other words, we believe lies about ourselves and that kills abundant life. We believe lies about each other and that kills relationships. And we believe lies about God. And so growth in the Christian life is identifying a lie, pulling that thing out and replacing it with the truth of God's word. Now, let me just give you a couple, let me give you some examples of this because as a pastor, I, I, I see this consistently. Um, the first lie that I think a lot of people believe is this, God doesn't have time for my tiny little life. I hear that all the time. I really do, different variations of it. God doesn't have time for my tiny life. And the thought process is, well, I don't wanna bother God with this prayer request about who my daughter is sitting with at lunch at school because God is so busy. He's dealing with terrorism and a tsunami and he's dealing with a mass shooting in Colorado. You know? So he really doesn't have time for my things. And so, and so what does the Bible say? What does the truth say about that? Well, the Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. So there's no care that's too big and there's no care too small. But if you were to believe that lie, what's gonna happen? You're not gonna pray. How about this one? This is a big one. This is America right here, okay? I am enough. I am enough. Uh, we love this. We'll put this on mugs. We will engrave this on jewelry uh, and wear it around our necks. And it's basically this thought that I don't need anybody else in my life. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm independent. I'm great. I don't need God. But that's interesting because when you think about it, what is faith? The essence of faith is surrendering to God. The essence of faith is you and I trusting God. It's the admittance that we really need God, that God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of need. That's Psalm 46. And so the Christian life, growth in the Christian life is not growing in independence. Far from it. It's growth in 
dependence. God is enough, and I'm learning to rely on him. This is another one I've heard. I've heard this just in, yeah, this, 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 this amazes me. This is what Christians will say. They'll say, well, God has left me. God has abandoned me. And so it's in the, usually in the context of there's some sin I'm struggling with and I struggle with it over and over and over again. And so I'm just tired of asking for forgiveness and dealing with it. And so God's left me, God's kind of given up on me. And what the Bible says is this, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So, so when you got saved, when you accepted Christ, a lot of things happened to you. But there's one thing that didn't happen to you. When you got saved and when I got saved, God left sin in us. Did you know that? And, and so God left sin in us, so we're gonna spend the rest of our Christian life doing what? Fighting sin and learning to rely on God. And so God hasn't left you. God's just calling you to rely more on him to overcome sin in your life. And so the bottom line is this, if you fall down, church, just get back up get back up. Now, how can you do that? Because of the grace of God. It's not a license to sin. It's just a license to say, God, I need your help. I'm going to get back up and, and try again. Does that make sense? You guys track it with me? All right. So that is really the word of God for you. That is God's gift to you. An abundant life flows out of that. Can I issue another challenge? Tomorrow morning when you're tempted to get out of bed, and the first thing we normally do when we get out of bed is what? We like to check social media, all right? Instead of going to social media, go to God's media, okay? Go to God's word and check his word and check what it says about you. Everybody get it? All right, good. Last one, and then we'll end with this. There's God's will, there's God's word, and then there is God's work in you. Let me show, let me show you this, verses 23 and 24. He says this. This is beautiful, by the way. Notice what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Now, what he's talking about here is he's talking about God sanctifying us. And he's talking about the fact that we can rest in his sanctifying work, okay? That's really what he's talking about. Now, there are three parts to your salvation. The first part of your salvation is justification. And this is when God makes you right with him. And it's not just, it's not just God forgiving you, but it's God declaring you that you're righteous, and that, ha that happened the moment you became a Christian. And then the second part of your salvation started, and that's called sanctification, and that's what he's talking about in this passage. May God sanctify you. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that sanctification is really God's process of growing us and changing us into the image of Christ. So there's justification, and then we immediately we, we trans transition right into sanctification. And then when we die, guess what there is? There's glorification. And that's the day that we go home to be with Jesus, and we are made perfect, and we are totally like him. Now, why do I share that with you? I share that with you to say, how does that happen? 
How does that happen in my life and in your life that we go from justification, sanctification, and glorification? Well, I wanna show you the five most important words in the entire letter to the, to the Thessalonians. Let me show it to you. Look again at verse 24. It's the last half of 24 there. The, the most important words, he will surely do it. You know what that is? That is the most important words in that passage, he will do it. In other words, I can trust God to take me all the way through that process. And that means I can rest in him because he will surely do it. It's like Philippians 1.6 that says, he who began a good work in you, which was at justification, will carry it on to completion, which is glorification. You see, the secret to the Christian life, the secret to abundant life is resting in the fact he will surely do it. He's gonna do it. Now, does that mean that I can just sit back and you know, sip lemonade on the beach and just let God do everything? You know, what do I get to do? Well, the answer to that is, is this. The answer to that is two words, everything and nothing, all right? God does everything. God does the growing and changing. He does the justifying, he does the sanctifying, he does the glorifying, he does it all. And you can rest in that but you do something as well. You do something as well. There's a part that you play. That's why in Philippians, it tells us work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's something you and I are to do, work out our salvation. But then he says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what that just means is this, I'm gonna read his word. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fellowship with other Christians. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna share the gospel. And I'm going to do that resting in the fact that God, what he started in me, is going to finish it. So I can work in a restful kind of way. Does that make sense? I think that's what he's praying for them. And that is the source of abundant life. That's what it is. Now, let me close with this and then I'm done. Your best life now, that book is all about what you can accomplish what you can achieve, and what you can secure for yourself. The gospel, very simply, is what Jesus has secured, what Jesus has achieved, and what Jesus has accomplished for you. And it's really, the gospel is really not about having a bigger house and a nice new car. It's about having something infinitely better than that. You know what that is? Jesus himself you get Jesus himself. And so it's about him. That is your blessed life now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence giving you praise and giving you glory for all that you've done for us. It's amazing to think about that the work that you've started in us, you will carry it to completion. He will surely do it. So Lord, it's, it's not about doing more or trying harder or being better, but it's, it's really about trusting you and leaning on you more. 
And so, Lord, I just, I pray, God, that as Christians right here in central Indiana, God, that we would walk in the abundant life, the joyful life, the prayerful life, the grateful life. That we would just walk in you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, you would just quicken us to that you would speak to us that we would be aware of your presence that we would know your love and that your joy would flow out of us every day Lord we live in a chaotic stressed out world but thank you that you you promise abundant life joyful life. May we live in that today. We thank you and praise you and all of God's people said.